0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello everyone and welcome to the first Feelin' Film podcast mini sewed I'm Aaron and joining me is friend of the show, Scott Kelly. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, ma'am. Today we're here to talk about the latest James Wan horror film, The Conjuring 2, sequel to the unexpected hit, The Conjuring, from 2013. This episode was not originally part of our schedule, but this film is ripe for discussion, so we decided to try and squeeze it in. As always, we will be spoiling things, so hopefully you've seen the movie already. You have been warned. Okay, Scott, I know you're as excited as I am to talk about this movie, so let's just dive right into it. Why don't you start by talking about your initial reaction to The Conjuring 2? Uh, maybe you could like, tell us about your expectations and how did it live
1: up to them? Sure. Well, I missed the original Conjuring. It's theatrical run. I missed it when it was released back in uh, think of, yeah, 2013. And uh, I've always kicked myself for that because uh, that was a really, really solid film, and I wish I could have supported it when it was out. I've seen the movie countless times since it was released on uh, DVD and blu rays it's, it's, it's one of my all-time modern horror favorites. And uh, going into Conjuring 2, you know, there's lots of talk about sequelitis that, you know, these sequels that keep churning out, you know, they're not as good as the first, and, you know, the excitement has died down. And so I, I went in, I guess, with kind of a healthy positive vibe for it and I'll tell you what it completely blew my expectations out of the water it was just I thought it was just as good as the first I can't figure out which one of these is my favorite of of the series
0: so is it (laughs) that's actually a very good thing to say about it I would say I'd say that's pretty high praise I saw The Conjuring in the theater which is interesting because I'm not a horror fan or let me rephrase that I have traditionally not been a horror fan, and so I saw very, very few horror films at all, much less in the theater. There's no way you were going to drag me into a theater four or five years ago, but The Conjuring happened to be one that I saw, and I was actually blown away by it as well, just like you, um, when you finally got around to seeing it, and you know, it stuck with me, and it was really the beginning of my journey into starting to enjoy the horror genre more and more and more and that was really before i even dug into the genre for more spiritual type reasons at the time it was it was more of just enjoying the way that the story was put together and kind of the the old unique ghost story feel to it um it wasn't a slasher flick it wasn't all about the the blood and the gore and i appreciated that and yeah 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 and as for for conjuring 2 once the reviews started coming out i would wanted to see the film and once the reviews started coming out, it was just a no-brainer. I mean, most people are loving this one. Like you, I, I love them both. But I think for me that Conjuring 2 is better. Um, we'll get into some reasons why. But uh, I, I think that I can say that with a lot of confidence. They're both... You know, Five-star films in my book, I would watch either one of them, and, and they're they're the kind of movies that I think are great for recommending to people. Do you, would you do the same thing? Would you share these if you were going to try to get somebody into horror movies?
1: Well, and and that's the key right there, getting them into horror movies. If they don't want to get into horror movies, if they're legitimately scared of stuff like this, then no, I, w- I would not show them this, because both of these movies are fairly scary borderline terrifying at times but yes i i would most certainly show folks that have an interest in horror movies want to get uh, want to delve more into them i would definitely show them both of these the drop of a hat i mean they're they're that good
0: you know you make a great point there about the the depth of the scares that we get in these films and how i think the word that we probably should use is unsettling <laughs> they are this film is is very good at doing that. And I think, I mean, I think it's James Wan. He's a master really at creating that feeling. And so you're right. If someone is, you know, very susceptible or, or, um, easily impacted by that kind of scares, it's going to really, really bother them. Then they probably should stay away. I would, I would agree with you there. But if they're, if you're out there and you're the kind of person that enjoys being scared and you like getting your, your heart rate up, then these are amazing films for you to see. So about those horror scares in this one, what did you think it was scary? I mean, I I know you said you liked it just as much, you know, it's about on even keel with the conjuring, but in my opinion, this has a lot different scares than the conjuring
1: did. So did those work for you? Well, yeah, it's, this is a good topic to bring up because, you know, we are talk about an installment to a horror movie and obviously scares have to come with the territory in order for the audience to be scared. I mean, this is a pretty scary movie. I don't jump in fright in, in theaters or at home. I'm I'm not that outwardly expressive when I watch horror movies, but there were at least tw- two times in The Conjuring 2 where I found myself, like, I almost, you know, jumped in my seat, or my eyes got wide, you know, and I kind of caught myself reacting to these things. And, and quite a number of times after certain scenes had played out, I felt my body, it was just, it was very tense. So I was just, you know, okay, let yourself go. You know, it's just a movie. And, and that's where it really succeeds. Like I am sold on everything I'm seeing in both of these movies. And it's like, I'm right there with this, these family, uh, these families, uh, that our main protagonists are helping. And I care for all of them so that, you know, the stakes are high you know i have an emotional uh draw to them so uh yeah i mean all those put together uh the the scares are very effective yeah
0: i would have to agree with you and i'm i'm curious what those two scenes are for me i i scare easily so i've i've mentioned that to <laughs> to our listeners before i scare easily i cry easily i'm just i'm a very emotional guy so i i get into these things very very passionately. And uh so for me the scene with the nun and the painting. Oh gosh, yeah. (laughs) Just (laughs) and and I think it was more it's more than just the end scene there because it's the whole thing. It's it's as she's walking around the room, it's the tension that you're feeling the suspense that you're just waiting every single second for something to happen. And and they kept cutting back to the picture. And every time they cut back to the picture, you know, I just kind of, I found myself kind of like half, like ducking down in my seat and like wanting to close one eye, like, okay, it's going to happen right now. Okay. It's going to happen right now. It's going to happen right now. And then you see the shadow walking on the wall and you're just like, Oh my gosh, what is actually going to (laughs) happen? And it was, Oh goodness gracious. It, 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 it really got me. Um, Oh man, I you know, and that was that one and then uh there was another one where I honestly I felt like getting up and walking out. <laughs> Not because I didn't like the movie.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> it set
0: it was so scary to me, and this is most people probably are gonna think I'm really lame for this. But it set it had set the tone. it's when the little boy and I forget his name, but the little boy is playing with the fire truck and he picks it up and he's like, Okay, you know, what's going on here. And he goes back in his room and he, and he puts the fire truck out there and it hits the door. And so then he goes and he, he goes over to the tent and he rolls the fire truck in (laughs) and then the fire truck comes rolling back out. And that moment for me, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can handle this because this is, this is early in the film. And I was like, this is, I've got another hour and a half and you're going to continue to try (laughs) to top this scene. I'm going to die from fright it just it was it was great at creating that atmosphere i think and just keeping you i would say this most movie scary movies tend to have jump scares where you know you go through these big periods of time and then all of a sudden it's like okay boom there's a scary moment i felt like of this movie's like two hours and 10 minute running time or so i felt like we were scared for an hour and a half of it (laughs) at least that's how i felt i don't know about you
1: Yes, uh, that that's that's a great point to bring up. I I thought this movie was absolutely relentless in its scares. It never seemed to let up. Uh, there are only like a couple scenes that I can think of where you know the audience was allowed time to breathe R- right from the get go. Where you know it, it picks off right where uh, the last movie left off with their their next case, which is the uh, Amityville haunting, uh, the Amityville incident, and right at the Right at the beginning of this movie, you're you're seeing stuff is like, all right, I this is this is serious stuff. I'm, I'm going to be in for something. And that 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 scene you uh, mentioned with the fire truck, just um, I, this is the scene where uh, the little boy, he was going to go to bed and he kept looking out his door towards the tent. And then he would look back and he would look again. Right. Yep. is this is OK. Yep. that's that, it. Th- that was one of them. And for me. And I was excited. I was very tense through that scene because you know something's coming. You, you know the the way they they play this out and the 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 really long shots of all the you know these establishing shots, keeping the tension just constantly raising throughout the whole scene. A lack of quick edits. You're you're just fixed in one position watching this, just as the characters are, and and that yeah you, know, you know James Wan is a is a master. He's he's in my opinion, he's the modern horror master right now. And just the way he plays with atmosphere is incredible. And the, the, the two scenes, you get back to what you were uh, curious about, the two scenes for me that I got very close to jumping in my seat, were uh, you mentioned the portrait scene, uh, the non-portrait scene. That, that, one was, that one was very memorable. And then towards the climax of the film, where Ed peeks inside the tent and the crooked man is there. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Oh goodness. That was that was something. That was really something.
0: Yeah, I think for me the crooked man scene that got me is the one with the dog. I <laughs> when he oh, whew, I don't even want to rethink about it to be honest with you. But I mean it just it reminded me very much of it felt like the Babadook in a way.
1: In a lot of ways. I can I can definitely see that. I saw the conjuring two with my sister who's really into horror movies as well and when that scene happened she really started freaking out in her chair mainly because the one horror movie that we've watched together uh that she is terrified of it doesn't even like to mention is the thing the old, the original the thing with Kurt Russell oh, and yeah. when that when that dog started to transform into the crooked man it was like she was having like a PTSD episode <laughs> like flashbacks she that's just, hilarious She was just about done at that scene. So yeah, I definitely could see some references to the thing in that scene and a couple other places in the movie, but uh, yeah, very, very effective.
0: Yeah. You mentioned, also mentioned something uh, about when you were talking about the long camera takes, that's something I wanted to mention is I thought that the cinematography in this film was, and I'm going to use these words and I'm going to use them and I'm, I'm dead serious when I say them, but I think that the cinematography in this film is Oscar-worthy. Agreed. Totally I, well, I'm agree. glad you agree because I, I'm, I can guarantee that there will be people that will argue with us and that many of these people who argue with us will not have seen the movie. Because if you do watch this film, you can – I mean the way that it's shot in it, its perfect setting, the, the dreary London setting this, in, in the 70s, everything plays into it so perfectly. But Juan has this incredible ability – to do these long camera takes. And also he does these tracking shots really, really yes. well. There was, there were several scenes usually around, around Janet, the main uh, child that's possessed uh, in the film and where she's walking through a house or through her house. And you know, the camera just like following her perspective over her shoulder. It almost felt like I was playing a video game. Like I mm-hmm. could like, you know, ch- move my thumbstick and just spin the camera around from her perspective and that's what the camera was doing as we would go through the house and and then again in the, with the boy and the fire truck scene the camera does a great job of of showing you the boy with the fire truck and then uh or at you know at the door the fire truck's actually outside the door at this point it shows you him seeing that but then it slowly moves into a first person view when he's going down to touch it and it what it does is it creates that atmosphere where you no longer see everything <laughs> and you know, you see what he sees, which is he's looking at the ground, he's grabbing the truck, but his eyes are pointed down. So he can't see up at that point where the, toward the direction of the tent. And you just know that all it's going to take, you know, the moment that he raises his eyes that you and he are going to see something and it's going to be terrifying. And of course it's not in that moment, but that's kind of the brilliance of it. And I, I don't know I think you're right about him being the the modern horror master, because I don't know if there's anybody else out there that can do what he can do visually uh, with his storytelling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to go back to what you were uh, mentioning earlier, these uh, long uh, tracking shots, these establishing shots, the way they introduce uh, the house that the Warrens are eventually going to investigate in each movie. You know, th- this this isn't uh, new to Juan. One has done this with each of the installments. The way they introduce the house, where you're just walking through it, and it's so seamless you don't even realize what's going on, but you're basically getting a tour of this house. You're seeing all the rooms. You're seeing, you know, getting the sense of how the characters can move about in this atmosphere. And most horror films, you know, they'll they'll just plop you in. You know, uh, you don't really get a real spatial sense of where you are. There's so many. Uh, camera uh, angles and edits, and it, it doesn't take time to establish, you know, what you're looking at, where you're going to be for pretty much the whole movie, or at least a good chunk of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely correct. He he is very well versed in in s- taking his time, and I, I talk about this a lot on our show about movies that give their characters time to breathe they give the audience time to rest and it's funny that i would say that about this film when i just also said that it keeps us terrified for about an hour <laughs> yeah. for for over half of it but he does he does put those moments in there always and um he he takes his time to build things up and then he also has become a master at tearing them down very quickly <laughs> and i think <laughs> that this you know it's amazing, but his Furious Seven experience is so obvious in this film, and it, this film to me felt like a mashup of Insidious, The Conjuring, and Furious Seven. There were stylistically, you had a lot of Ed and Lorraine. You had some some backs, you know, the 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 flashback type scenes of the Amityville case. Some of the stuff in this one where. They were trying to contact the spirits and things. It felt very conjuring. Then you had the crooked man and the ghost, the nun, the demon, I guess, not a ghost, who, when they were on the screen, felt very much like Insidious. Anytime Lorraine went into her dream world, it was like, oh, I'm back in the Insidious world now. And I love those films, by the way, all three of them. I actually do like all three of them, and and then the Furious Seven when you when you had like the the final act, the final 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 climax, uh, that and the kitchen scene where all the stuff is just getting thrown around and and just chaos is happening, and any time actually the rooms are being trashed and chairs are being smashed against the walls, that felt very Furious Seven to me, and so it was just neat to see him blending all of these three things together. Into this just one amazing hole that was just completely different than anything I would seen because it put them all together.
1: I trust you, and I'm going to take your word on the Furious Seven comments. I'm I think I'm one of the few people in America that has not seen that movie, uh, but I've, oh, I've seen. Oh, Scott, I know, Scott, Scott, not my car guy too. I mean, you, you think Th- you're right? I, that makes no I, sense. No, it, it, it really doesn't. I, I really need to crack down and uh, watch those. I, I've only seen the first two Fast and Furious movies, so I need to – I probably need to crack down and start watching those. I have seen the Insidious uh, movies. and I think Juan directed uh, number one and number two of those. I don't think he directed number three. I could be wrong. But, yes, I did get a lot of sense of the, you know, the Insidious vibes. Uh, especially from the first one. I wasn't too much of a fan of the second, but especially the first one, it was, it was very wan. He has his own style and uh, he, he really knows how to work that style in any kind of genre that he tackles. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm excited about seeing what he does in the future. Um, I know he's got some other projects on the horizon and actually I think we'll talk about that uh, maybe when we wrap up about what he's got coming up and where the future of this series is headed because it's, it seems to be uh, going – going to be going strong for a while. So one of the things that I took out of this film, and I'm not sure if everybody did or not, but I felt like this was almost a horror story
1: and a love story put together. Did you get that vibe? I very much got that vibe, i and I'm really happy you did as well. Uh, whereas, whereas the first movie, the first Conjuring – Really focused on how uh, the Warrens worked together, and and you know just how they played off of each other, and you know they did their job. This one really tackled their marriage, how, how they, and really focused on the love they had for each other, and and really really harped on sh- showing that love through for for their job, for the people that they cared for, you know, sac- you know putting yourself in in harm's way. Not even getting paid for what you do, just going to help these people. I, I very much am in, in agreement with you there. It, it was it was a romance story with horror sprinkled in first and foremost for me.
0: Yeah, good. I'm 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 really relieved to hear you say that because I thought I thought for sure I was like, oh gosh, people are gonna think I'm crazy when I say this. But yeah, I just I guess their story really resonated with me, and and I thought it was incredible that this is a movie about ed and lorraine warren and they don't even get to london until the movie is literally almost two-thirds of the way done like i I was time i was timing i was looking down on my watch and i was like okay we've been going an hour and 10 minutes and they are just now getting to the case this is crazy and you know some people would say that that means the film went too long and i can i can probably agree that it might have been able to be tightened up about you know 10 to 15 minutes here and there but it definitely didn't kill the experience for me because of the things we talked about because it you know it just it it all of those moments worked for me and I I understood why we were getting so much time with the build-up and the suspense and it, it just it worked but yeah back to their love story it, it, it's incredible you, you get to see them sacrifice for each other at various times. And, you know, she's completely terrified that he's going to die. You know, she's had this premonition of what's going to happen to him. And she doesn't want that to happen. And as much as they want to help other people, you know, how, how strong is that love for each other? You know, of course that's going to be trumping that at some point, And she doesn't want him to be put in harm's way. And we get to see how that plays into their analysis of the case. In the end, I think, I think it's very clear that they're not truly skeptical of what's going on. And they're, they're playing skeptics because the church says they have to and because of the skepticism around the Amityville case. But I think they're using that to mask their personal fears, especially Lorraine, about what could happen if they keep pursuing this particular case. Did you, did you feel that way about it?
1: Yeah, I I that that's uh again very interesting to bring up. The the emphasis on the skepticism in this movie was something that I really appreciated. And if you, you know, we mentioned how this movie is uh, essentially a love story, it's also a story that deals with faith. And I'm not just talking about Christian faith here, but just the the, the faith that what what they're doing if this is really beneficial to them if this is beneficial to the family because in the in, in the real case yeah, i i believe uh, from, from what i have read and i'm actually doing a lot of reading on these uh, on the warren cases right now uh the case actually ended with uh, that scene in the movie where they got the footage of janet uh trashing the kitchen and you know it, all that all was cut on film you, you know they're like all right this they're, they're making this up you know that's it Uh, So I believe the real story stops there, but I'm really glad that they gave a reason for Janet to fake that for the film, regardless if that happened in real life or not. It really worked for the story to – Bring it, bring it all back. Yes, there is a danger here. And then you know, the Warrens once they realize that, and and as as they were even walking away from the house, you know, they were saying to themselves, "This feels wrong. We 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 shouldn't be doing this. This this feels wrong. We need to go back." But looking at the looking at the evidence that they had, you know, again, it was the classic uh, head versus heart uh, scenario. Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely true. I think I actually. I actually had a small problem with that scene and that the way that that played out because it was like, well, all of a sudden we see one scene of footage of her throwing stuff around, and we're going to ignore everything else that has happened in this film. Yes, and, yeah. you know, I mean, like we have <laughs> so much proof that's not on videotape, and we have it on audio, and and to suddenly be like, yeah, well, there's just this one video. We're just gonna, it, it, again, it felt like you know they really. They almost wanted to believe that they wanted so badly to, to believe that this was not real because they didn't want to have to face it. Uh, But eventually they do.
1: Yeah. And if you remember, Lorraine was saying that she could really get a hit on any kind of presence in the
0: house. That's true. She was being blocked, which was, I had forgotten about that. You're right. That's, that's another good reason for them to be skeptical of it is that she did not have that feeling that she normally has everywhere else she goes where she could sense the demonic presence. I I think it, there's a there's a line in there that ties into this whole skepticism and faith talk that was my favorite probably line in the whole movie. And it's one it's a point where the doubter in the film, the uh parapsychologist Anita Gregory, um who's the one that's trying to tell them all no, no, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake she says at one point, is it demons? What's she says, what's worse demons or the people who prey on others belief in them. And Lorraine doesn't even hesitate. And she says, the demons are worse. And I, I was just like, yeah, like I, I kind of like this pumped in my chair mm-hmm. right there. Cause I was like, yes, you put her in her like, of, like what kind of question is that? Of course they're worse. Like, y- you know, well, be real here. <laughs>
1: That that question can only be asked by a skeptic, by someone who doesn't really believe in the paranormal or the supernatural. Uh, that that that's the question that can only be. You, you go to any third world country, say like Haiti or you know stuff like that, and you're going to find throughout these countries that there there's a reason why the supernatural, why the paranormal, is is so consistent in any culture that you, you, human has. Uh, humanity has had you know is is, this doesn't die this the sense of the you know if you want to call it demonic paranormal whatever you know everyone has something for it everyone has experienced something that they can't explain and when you're talking about demons you know it's yeah uh, like why would you not think that demons are worse or or you know, you know what I'm saying. That what you know, the people yeah. who prey on others. Yeah, that's that's really bad. But what what demons can do, you know, that's 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 a completely different ballpark.
0: I agree, and obviously that's that's proven <laughs> at the end. You know, when we get to see that, I that's another scene that, frankly, if if I had to pick, you know, the few scenes that weren't my favorites, that would probably be one of them. I liked the build up to the climax, but It walked that line of too much to me, and became almost too bombastic. It was like, all right, now he's hanging out the window. He's hanging by a thread. He's gripping the curtain, and little rungs are coming off one by one. And it's—is he gonna fall on the tree? And you know, and she casts out the demon just in time, and rushes, and she's her you know feeble little body is able to grab him and hold him, and another little girl up, and pull them in the window, and you know, but with one arm. And that part got a little, <laughs> that got a little quote unquote you know, furious seven for me. It was like, all right. So that's, I mean, now that's very much one, the other side of one. Um, but I would have liked that to been just maybe dialed back just a notch in realism. Uh, but at the same time, I, you know, I was extremely terrified that whole scene because of the way that the nun demon was portrayed. And it's just, Oh, it's just a creepy design of a, of a spirit, man. I, it, one of the most creepy I've seen, for sure.
1: Yeah they the the design for Valak was was insane. I loved it.
0: Did you notice that during one of her visions, there were blocks like in a bookcase or a bookshelf, and they the two of them were in order
1: and they said V A. There were... you know, <laughs> you know. It's funny you say that because uh, I did not catch it on my viewing, but my sister did. And she told me after the movie, I was like, no, they, they really did that? They just put that out in the open, you know? And then I go on IMDb, and they're like, oh, yeah, there was the blocks. It was the bracelet uh, that their mm-hmm. daughter was making. And yeah, I think there was one other scene uh, that, that had it spelled out. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things, like, on repeat viewings, you're going to be noticing this stuff and, and kicking yourself for it. You know, I love that. I love that kind of thing. Oh, me
0: too. It was, it was, I was, I thought I was crazy at first because I, when the, when she said the name, I was like, huh, you know, I vaguely remember seeing those letters somewhere in this movie before. And I think, you know, that that's, they must've put some thought into that, into what kind of combination of letters would, would bring out that kind of memory for us. You know, if it's, if it's just John, I think that's so common that we probably would have never even thought about it, but so little so few names start with a V and end in a K that that's something that would stick out. So one of the other things I want to make sure we we hit on is it sort of is t- it starts off with this whole skepticism idea and I'm going to go somewhere else with it, but I think that it's it there's the skepticism that the family has to experience from the doubters is really putting them in as much danger as you know, the demons themselves like they're That's what's putting them in danger because no one is willing to believe them or no one is willing to help them. I mean, the cops, one of the best scenes is when the cops come and, the, and the, you know, and that's, that's not normal. Usually you see the cops come in in a movie like this and nothing happens. And so the cops are like, yeah, we don't believe you. But in this one, the cops actually do believe them. They just don't help them. They don't want you know, anything to do with they it. They run away. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, uh, uh, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't get paid enough for this. (laughs) Right. But because there's, there's so much disbelief around what the family is saying. It, it's a relatability for the Warrens because they're, they're facing the same kind of challenge to their credibility back home because of the Amityville case. And I think that's why it was a brilliant move to start this one with the Amityville. I like in general how Juan has done that now with both films has tied them into previous case. He's, it's, he's doing a great job with all of the, the whole universe building that he's doing with these. But it, it almost feels like Ed is a bridge the gap character between the two. Like he's he understands it and he's trying to pull the believers, the non-believers, the skeptics, the non-skeptics into the middle to get to the bottom of this and to truly help the family. And uh, and one thing he does that I, I absolutely love is... When again, these moments of rest that we talked about that are so important. It, it's so tense. It's so scary. They're, they're, they're going through this traumatic experience. They don't, they're, they're fearful for their lives. The mom is just off her rocker, scared to death for her kids. And he brings the family together and he just wants to listen to some music because they haven't been able to. And and he can't, you know, because his record, the record player won't work. And so he picks up the guitar and, I loved that scene. I don't, did you? What did you think about
1: that? Thank you so much for bringing this up because all of the discussion I've seen about it has avoided talking about this scene because they think it's too "quote" sound of music. I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant play, a, a brilliant way to put that in there to show the audience that you know, first and foremost, the Warrens care about this family. The way you fight these demons off is to get. The negative energy, the negative vibes, whatever, out of the house because they prey on that, and they've said that in both movies. And in the first movie, you know, you see them making breakfast for the family in the house, and uh, you know, the parents say, you know, it hasn't been this light, you know, we haven't been this happy in a long time. But then again, in this one, the the Elvis scene, the guitar scene, and it just it really shows the audience, it really. You you care about these fam this family you know they that um I believe the mother in in this one uh, was recently divorced and they they say earlier in the movie that the, the dad had took taken all the albums so they didn't have anything to listen to in the house but they really like Elvis and a couple of other things and he brings that back to them they're they're looking for this this figure to bring their life back and and he does and I love I absolutely love that scene you know you talking about what you could cut from this movie lengthwise, and I guarantee you, pretty much everyone is going to say that that scene is going to be the first in their minds. But that that's that is one of the top scenes that I would keep in. I, I you know I, I, a lot of people when they when they talk about the length of this movie and how long it is, and it's two hours fifteen minutes. It's not that long, but it is longer than most you know, I have to ask him, you know, what would you cut? Because all of these little scenes, you know, you're mentioning the breathing time that we have as as the audience uh, and, you know, just the extra time we have to relate to these people. So we care about them more as the movie goes on. What could you cut? Because a lot it was so it was so knit together for me. I feel like if one of those threads goes like something would be missing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you. And I am so glad that they didn't cut it, and I am – I've also heard people complain and thought that it shouldn't have ended on such a happy note, and I say, whatever, get out of here. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was a fantastic ending to come back to that song again and to have Lorraine just put her hand out and for them to dance. And That because,
1: was absolutely perfect scene. Because I it's love a
0: love story. It's a love yeah. story. They love each other, and they are bonded by their love for each other and their faith, and that's why they do what they do and – it makes this movie so unique and so special. Yeah. I, I, I just, I adore it. And I also want to point out real quick and and we're going to wrap this up, but I want to say the writers read a lot of stuff with the writers. I'm from the writers. And one of the things that they said is that they, we've, what they've tried to do is to create films with redemption to which I'd say they succeed. And that they want to have happy endings. There's no sex. There's no violence. There's no swearing. It's rated R because it's scary and it happened to real people. That is what the writers said. And I love that. I love that we don't need all of that excess, especially in this genre. This is a genre that is known for gore, sex, Mm -hmm. knives, cussing, completely unnecessary, gratuitous types of R-rating material. And here we have someone that learned that they can tell that same exact type of scary or tell a scary story that is is even more terrifying
1: without using any of that stuff. And I just think it's awesome. I guess that goes to prove that you don't really need all that stuff to tell a good story, doesn't it?
0: It does. And (laughs) um, we're not going to dog any TV shows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wasn't just thinking about TV shows. I was just thinking, you know... (laughs) Media storytelling in general, yeah, TV shows get away with it more, but yeah, you know, I, I, you just don't need all that stuff. the The real heart of movies, what really grabs people, will puts them in the seats in theaters, is the love for characters, you, how how you can relate to the people on screen. That's what it's about. And Conjuring Two, just as much as Conjuring One, if not more, does it does it spades it it, it just it it excels at every aspect of this I I can't say good good enough things about it
0: that's great man well I I appreciate everything you've had to say and it's 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 been a fun fun conversation and just reliving it I I didn't stop thinking about it for the the two or three days since I've seen it I I drove home in a like rainstorm uh, an actual actual massive thunderstorm with major lightning and rain oh how fun no yeah and of course (laughs) that's that's what the final whole act takes place in right and right right and then I get home and of course it's just like it's a nightmare like I I, nothing everything I kept hearing things I have three cats and they were not making things easier for me and so I stayed up late and I stayed up extra late last that night when I got home and I just like I couldn't go to bed I just stayed in the living room with all the lights on like, doing things <laughs> until uh-huh. I was until I was so tired that I knew I would just pass out and that's that's an endorsement for this this kind of film because that's what it should do
1: oh yes yep I I, I couldn't. I still can't stop thinking about this movie. I really want to go see it again I hope I have time to and it's theatrical run I know there's a lot of other movies coming out I'm interested in but uh, this movie definitely deserves more than one viewing that's for sure
0: could not agree more well, I think it's pretty obvious that both Scott and myself really enjoyed this film and are also, you know, big fans of the whole series. So, if you made it this far and you haven't seen the movie yet, we definitely recommend that you do. Honestly, I probably should have said this at the beginning. It's too late to tell you now, but it, you know, it's the kind of movie that even if you know the ending, it's not going to completely change your viewing experience. You can still get nearly as much out of it. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely go do that. It's a great theater experience. And it provides something different than you're normally going to get with this genre. Scott, before we go, we always try to give our listeners a chance to uh, find out where they can reach us on the Internet so they can connect with us, read more of our stuff, listen to our, more of our stuff, and generally just give us feedback on what they thought. So can you tell us where people can find you?
1: Sure thing. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm actually uh, in the Feeling Film group, so you'll probably be able to find me there. Uh, that's, that's the easiest way. I'm on Twitter. My uh I guess my call sign on there, my username is uh, uh skoke15 that's s c o k e 5 I have a blog called uh cross processing. Talk about um film uh from a Christian slant. I uh, bring a lot of apologetics into it and that can be found at crossprocessingblog.com. And uh yeah, I I'm I'm all over the place online when it comes to film and uh, especially with a uh, Christian slant. So that that that's my thing. So uh yeah, re- really appreciate what you've done here. You've given me another outlet to uh enjoy.
0: That's great, man. It's been awesome having you and I hope that you all will go check out Scott's stuff. He's a great writer. Um don't get turned off sometimes by the length of his articles. Uh, <laughs> he can he can go for a while, but they are worth your time. I'm telling you. Um go 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 read his stuff. It's it's all good. Um he actually just did a piece for a website called Real World Theology uh on the Conjuring
1: one. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, yeah, that didn't I think that
0: thing that just came out today.
1: Yep, just published today, so uh Perfect timing. I, 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 yeah, exactly. Definitely check that out. Bring up some stuff there that uh we we did mention uh in, in this cast, but I go into a little bit more detail there.
0: Yeah, Scott's our resident uh,
1: The Conjuring expert, I think.
0: <laughs> it's starting to turn out that way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You know, and we didn't get to talk about the, the universe really created and all the Annabelle films and the fact that we just got news today that there's going to be a spin off Nun film. But there is Annabelle 2 coming, and it's by a director who is an indie director who will be directing this summer's Lights Out, which is also produced by James Wan, I'm really excited about, about that film. I've heard r- great things. Um, it looks just absolutely terrifying. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to pee my pants when I watch that one. Um, but, <laughs> I saw the trailer.
1: It did look good. Oh, <laughs> gosh,
0: man. So maybe, maybe we can have you back on and we can talk about that one when, uh, when it comes out later this summer. Sounds good to me. So for me, you can find me everywhere online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, Twitter, Facebook, etc. You can find the show everywhere, Film f-e-e-l-i-n-f-i-l-m you can email us feelinfilm at gmail.com we love iTunes reviews writing words helps out so much it it really does make us more visible so that more people can find us and then hopefully uh, join the Facebook group and get that conversation going, get it flowing get it continuing Uh, you're more than welcome to come do that with us and engage uh, because we love to talk about movies all day long and more voices, the better. So until next time, stay positive and keep feeling film.